little bit of extra time I can see on the clock. Any of you guys been following the, uh, the basketball tournament? No, gosh, what's wrong with you guys? You know, North Carolina and Villanova's in the, in the final, the final two, and uh, it's amazing how, how, how Syracuse went as far as they did, but I know some of you, some of you are really into it, and uh, I just brought, bring it up to you this morning just to get your attention. I know some guys are here, and they're thinking, uh, I had one person say to me, you know, you, you, um, you don't come across like a pastor. <laughs> and, and it always reminds me that when I told my, um, my niece, uh, I, I, used to be, I used to have a business, and, and I said, you know, I, I, I think God's called me to be a missionary. And she looked at me and said, you, a missionary? And she started laughing. And uh, I said, okay, that's all right. <laughs> If you have your bulletins, I ask you to open up um, your bulletin and pull out your connection card. It's something we do every week, and uh, it's this purple and white card, and it's a way in which you can connect with us, especially if this is your first time here. We'd love to have some information to be able to welcome you uh, officially. And at the same time, uh, on the back, there's an opportunity for you to ask questions or check something that, that uh, might have interest to you. And, and and right in there, and, uh, next to your bulletin, I'll just bring this up as you're filling that out. We got a neat looking, uh, a little flyer in here called, talked about, talking about leaving the clutter behind. Women of West Covina Church, uh, spring retreat. And you get, then you get two opportunities. There are two different times you can go on this. Uh, either April 20th to 22nd or April 22nd to 24th. It's at the same place. They're gonna, it's, it's a repeat of the, you know, there's two different uh, times giving the same retreat. So, but uh, this is for you ladies, and it's, uh, boy, it's, I didn't realize you guys are going to Crystal Cove State Park. That's really a beautiful place. So uh, consider it, give us some thought. Uh, take, for example, you look at that and say, oh my gosh, I don't know if we can, if I have the, uh, can afford that. Don't worry about that. Just start talking to us, and uh, we'll, we'll deal with that later. Okay. Also, you look on the back, there's a bulletins, uh, information, food and fellowship day, orange family time, young marriage fellowship this afternoon at 2 p.m. Uh, Taishi and Jessica's uh, home, they're going to open up their home to, to the uh, young, young marrieds. Also, single adult dinner tonight, uh, 5 p.m. in the social hall. So that for that single adult dinner, if you're interested, never been there before, just uh, talk to me after service. Okay, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Samuel. We're getting into the Old Testament today. We're making a transition uh, from what we're preaching on before Easter. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read for you verses 8 through 12. Very familiar story for you who have been in the church for a while, and, uh, but it's a, it's a great story. It's, there's a lot, of, a lot of neat lessons here. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verses 8 through 12. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chose, chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. 
So he asked Jesse, are, there, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Let's pray. Father, as you go forward in this, this really biblically classic series, uh, story of, of David, uh, Father, we pray that you will speak to us and we'll make it, make it real and relevant to us here in the 21st century. Uh, allow us, Father, to actually be able to see how this applies to our individual lives. And we, uh, we count on you to do this, Father. So we just invite the Holy Spirit to just, uh, work on our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm of that older generation where we, we used to play in the street. And uh, uh, I remember regularly, uh, the neighborhood guys, we'd get together and we'd play stickball. Stickball, basically, we use a tennis ball and a broom handle. And you use the tennis ball and broom handle like a ball and bat. And you get in the street and you set up your bases and you play stickball. We used to do that regularly. Out of the guys that played stickball, I was always the youngest. And uh, not only the youngest, but I didn't appear the most athletic. Uh, for example, uh, ever since I can remember, my brother being five years older than me, I always outweighed him. Maybe at birth, I did not weigh him. But every other time I can remember, I outweighed my brother. And, but uh, So on stickball, being the youngest and the one that didn't look the most athletic, I was rarely chosen. And everyone was chosen from the neighborhood street before I was chosen. But I can always count on one guy. His name was Tom. And Tom was like one of the big kids in our neighborhood. But Tom saw something in me where he would always choose me. And uh, I, I, was really, uh, I, it was really a special thing. Um, when I think back about that, I really believe that God's, God sees you and me differently than the world sees us. He knows us. He sees that, that inner you he, he sees our heart like we've been singing about. And he has a plan for our lives, which the Bible is very clear about, that God has a plan for us. See, God sees us differently than the world. And so in our short time this morning, we're going to examine the early life of David, the shepherd. And this study is, is the first one of a four-part series. I'm going to be working with the theme, From Zero to Hero. And I'm starting with David and how a person as very common and ordinary, just like all of us here, can be used in a way that, that, that he rises up and takes this incredible position, position in, in the nation of Israel. But actually, he was just like us. So turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to start with chapter 16, and we're going to get into how God looks at the heart. Examine that a little bit. We have a short time today. We have communion today, so uh, we're going to be going pretty quick here. Look at verse 1 of, of chapter 16 in 1 Samuel. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, a little, little bit of context here. 
First Samuel records some of the most pivotal years in the history of Israel. The years between the 12th and the 10th century B.C. Saul was chosen as Israel's very first king. He was chosen by God because what? The people of Israel said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other people groups around us and tribes and, 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 and civilization. We want, to, we want to have a king just like they have a king. And so they went from a theocracy, which means a direct rule of God, to a monarchy, which is the rule of a king. And before Saul, Israel had judges. You've heard the term judges. Samuel, who we're reading about here, he was the very last judge of Israel. So he ended that period of judges, and he helped inaugurate the, the era of the kings by anointing Saul as God's chosen and very first king for Israel. Just a little bit of history there. But over time, what happened? God rejected Saul as king due to two things. One, he had a rebellious spirit. He was turning his back on God's rule, God's sovereignty in his life. Saul was kind of turning his back and kind of doing his own thing. And then it was also incomplete obedience. And you know how that is. You know when you get so comfortable in a situation or maybe even your work or maybe even a, a tough class you have, you get kind of comfortable in it. You think you're, you're kind of start to cruising and you're not as focused and detailed on how you should be. That's how Saul became in his reign as king. And he started to get kind of sloppy. And his obedience to God was incomplete. And so God decided he's going to take Saul out. He's going to remove Saul from the throne. Now God is sending Samuel out. He's sending Samuel out again to seek for a second king. And this time it's someone who's going to succeed Saul. And God directs Samuel to this family of Jesse in the town of Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, must bring a bell to you guys, right? Bethlehem, that's where, where Jesus was born. And it was necessary for Jesus to be born in the city of Bethlehem, born in the city of Jesse, where King David uh, was born and raised and, and grew up. But anyway, let, let's go back to our, our text here. Look at verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Oh, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And Eliab must have been a stud. He probably looked at Eliab and said, Oh my gosh, this guy, he is it. Okay. But look at 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How important is appearance in choosing a person? Take, for example, how important, ladies, is appearance to choosing your boyfriend? Huh? How important is a congregation in choosing a pastor? Huh? Now, in our climate today, how important is it in choosing your next president? <laughs> See, Samuel had to choose a king. But thankfully, God is the one doing the choosing. And God looks at the heart. 
which simply means that God looks at the, that the inner you. God looks at the real you. God knows the real you, which might sound scary to some of you. But God knows who you are. He knows the person of the true thoughts and unspoken words. He knows the person of the motives on why you do things, why you say things, why you aren't saying things. He knows all that. God knows the heart. Christianity is all about nurturing the inner you and me to be all we can be in Jesus. That's Christianity. Christianity works on the heart. Christianity isn't telling you to jog. Christianity isn't telling you to eat right and cut out the carbs. Christianity is dealing with the inner you. Now, eventually it may deal with all those other things, but he's dealing with the inner you. Every Christian is a work in progress. You know, I, I think one of the biggest downfalls of the Christian church and for Christians in general is that we don't grab onto that. We don't buy into that. We forget or we just ignore or we just don't care that we are a work in progress. That God is not saying that you can now just kick back and say, heaven's waiting for me. That God is saying, no, I am constantly in work to try to tweak you. I am constantly in work to try to improve you. I am constantly in work to try to put you in situations that are going to sharpen you and make you not only a better person, but more value to me in the kingdom. Constantly, that's what God wants for his children. When we look at the words of Isaiah way back, you know, Back like Isaiah was written roughly, what, 700, 800 years before Christ was born, Isaiah wrote these words, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Get it, man? God is just constantly working, working, working to make you something special in this world and in his kingdom. Look at this. This is something I made. Isn't that cool? You don't think so. I made that when I, I don't know when I made it. I made it. It has, it has Lincoln Elementary School on the bottom, so I knew it was elementary school and I made that. Now, to me, I look at that and I say, hey, that's pretty precious. That's pretty cool. To you, you say, that's a bunch of junk. You know? But why is that? Because I'm the creator. I'm the creator. God is your creator. When God sees you, I don't care. What, he doesn't care anything what the world says. He doesn't care what, what your neighbor says. He doesn't care what, 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 how your, if your dog likes you or not. God, your creator, thinks you are pretty special, that you are pretty precious. And God looks at the heart. Let's look at verses 9 to 12. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's read a few more verses here. Verses 9 to 12. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are, there all, are these all the sons you have? Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. 
Samuel said, Hey, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. Kind of crazy, huh? I mean, think about what is God doing here? He's, he's choosing David. I mean, David's own father didn't even choose him. His own father didn't even consider pulling this, his, his youngest son up to be considered. For he was not only the youngest, but he was the smallest in stature. He was the meekest in personality of all of the eight of, of Jesse's sons. He wasn't a leader. He was more of a poet. He, he, he was kind of more of a daydreamer. He wasn't king material. He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. He just sat on a hill and watched these dumb animals grazing. Well, let's go on with our story. God grows us through acts of faith. See, this is part of the tweaking. When we talk about God grows us through acts of faith, this is part of the tweaking. This is part of the, 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 the rounding off of the rough edges. This is part of the, of the reshaping and remolding of who you are. Acts of faith. Let's get into this. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Who in the world were the Philistines? Well, the Philistines were, were a kind of a seafaring people. They, they kind of ruled the, 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 the Mediterranean at that time. And they named their land Felicia. And out of Felicia comes the name of that whole area that we now call what? Palestine. That's where the name Palestine comes from. But, but the, Philistine, the Philistines were a real pain in the side of Israel. They really badgered them, and they were constantly at war with them for, for generations. The Philistines were like, were like the, the, the Lex Luthor, the Superman. They were, here, they were always there just giving them a hard time. Look at chapter 17, verse 4. Chapter 17, verse 4 says, A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Some people say, sure, he was, man. This guy was big. He was huge. I mean, they put him out there because he was abnormally, incredibly big. I, I, uh, the friend of mine used to have uh, season tickets for the Lakers. He handled the... Um, the computer score box. That wasn't his profession. He was, he was in computers, but they hired him just as a part-time thing for him to do. So in compensation, they didn't give him money. They gave him season tickets. It was really cool. So once in a while, when, he, when there was no one else in all his world that could go to see the game, he'd call me. <laughs> Rick, I can't find anyone else to go to the game. You want to go to the game? Sure. Great seats. And, and you ever see Shaq up close? Shaq, seven what, seven foot three, seven two. Ah, that guy was huge. And then tack on two feet onto that. Incredible. We're, we're talking about this incredible dude here. So here, let's look at chapter 10, uh, verses 10 and 11. Then the Philistines said, this is Goliath. Then the Philistines said, this day 
I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now this guy put out this challenge. Today, tomorrow, day after that, day after that. He just kept on going out there into the open field saying, okay, who's going to fight me today? He kept doing that. He did that for 40 days. For 40 days he taunted Israel. Send out your man. I'm ready to fight. And, and, and no one dare accept that challenge. Then finally, who did? You guys know it. David did. Here's this, 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 this kind of scrawny little shepherd boy saying, how oh, dare this guy talk to us like this? I accept the challenge. Let me go fight. And everyone just thought, this kid's crazy. This is stupid. We're not going to send you to fight. And so David had to talk the king into letting him, because what did Saul say? Right out of the Bible says, Saul just looked at him and said, you're only a boy. But this is how David responded. Look at verse 36, 37. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I mean, who do you have to choose? He didn't have anybody else to choose, so might as well, right? And although David wasn't a warrior, what does he say? He says, I have fought. Even though he's never been in battle, what's he saying? I've been in battle. I've risked my life. In other words, look at my life history. Look at the things God has brought me through. I am ready for today. See, although he'd never faced a man like Goliath, the potter had prepared the clay. See, we all know what happened, right? Well, he won. David faced Goliath and he won. We won't get into that today. It's an exciting story, though. It's neat. He defeated Goliath. But the big story about this, the big thing in regards to our message today, is that because he did step forward in faith, because he did do battle, that act of courage opened the door for David to become the king of Israel. That opened the door for David to become the king of one of the most powerful nations of the world at that time. And so we kind of have to ask ourselves, what is the Goliath in our life? What is that Goliath that faces you? What keeps you from being all that you can be and all that you should be? Let's see this little clip here of a pastor. I wasn't ready.
ladies, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool. I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down. And here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know? times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long the storm's going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in your You know, when you look at someone like Pastor Nick up there and you see how how God is using him and how many lives are being touched by this man in spite of all that he has gone through and and, and all that that he has faced ever since he was conscious of who he was. You know, you kind of say, wow. And so I go back to my question, you know, what what, what is your Goliath? What, What might God be calling you to do And then what's stopping you from doing it? Why do you think God has you in his kingdom? Why do you think God has you here in this church? See, whatever it is, God will never force you to step forward. God will never force you to, to, to be open for change or to be, be moving forward or to, or, or to, to get your, your, your jagged corners kind of rounded off. But realize that if you do, and what God places in front of you truly is from God, and you step forward, God will bless you, and you will see victory. No, David, no different than David. It's the same God of David as we are today in the 21st century. The same God who fills this, this sanctuary right now. The same God who resides in your heart. Same God. Same M.O. Same heart, same heart of desire that he has for his people. Same thing he wanted for David is the exact same thing he wants for you. See, David went from obscure shepherd boy to king of the most powerful nation. 
of his time. He accepted God's choosing. He saw God's opportunity. And he stepped forward. And he went from zero to hero. Let's prepare ourselves for the communion, for the Lord's Supper. I say that.